Episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden, and there's four of us, as promised. We've uh, we've dragged the Irishman back. Hey, going there, McCarthy? Yeah, good man. Like we were just saying, watching a bit of sports over the weekend. Ireland got the better of the USA in the rugby. Is that right? I went and broke my brother's leg in the octagon. <laughs> we're just having a bit of chat about McGregor's final performance against Proria. There was a bit of Irish lip. And then there was a bit of someone's knee into the ankle or something, I think. And the Irishman landed flat on his back. Sure did. A bit nasty. That was a horrendous. That was horrendous watching him land that kick. Yeah, that's the uh, third time that's happened uh, in the octagon that I've seen with like major contenders, right? Anderson Silva, Chris Weedman, and now McGregor. Yeah. We were just we were just sitting here chatting and getting sort of warmed up, which is what happens before the episode starts. And we're just like, let's just go. Let's just click record. Don't worry about the intros. Let's not ask each other how our week was. Let's just get straight into it and let everybody hear how that goes. So how have you been, Raf? What's what's going down for you? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me, dude. It's hot. Can I talk about just for Mike? Yep. <laughs> let him know. Let him know. Yeah. Learn him. Oh, it's uh it's it's like 45C, so that would be uh, whatever that is in F. That's a I lot. I know what the C is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, I got some exciting news, and Mike is tracking this. We're going to uh, be uniting in Montana with a great friend of ours, uh, old old Jimmy. Um, so we're looking forward to that. So after uh, I get home from my trip overseas, we'll be spending some uh, – some time out in the rugged mountains of uh, of Montana, reenacting a very specific movie. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm, I'm, my billet is by myself now, and I'm sleeping out in the woods. You know, I'm not taking part. Thank you. What are you talking about? I'm talking about city slickers. What are you talking about, <laughs> dude? With Billy good. Crystal. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's that was a good setup. You ass <laughs> now they said something there with a consonant at the start i think mike yeah i think so i was i was close <laughs> I was close yeah i'm looking forward to that uh the the whole montana i've never been to montana so it, it looks freaking awesome and amazing and i feel really special and, and blessed because one melon's gonna be here in four days three days that's a blessing. I can I can see why you're counting your blessings. Yeah. There. Yeah. Well, I think no, like no shit. Like it's really cool, man. Like I get, I get to see you, and then like, you know, three to four weeks later, Raf gets home, and you know we get to go out to Montana and hang out together. So it's like, you know, I haven't had a I haven't had a full summer, and I I can't remember how long, or anything. So like I actually get to have plans and a life, uh, and everything. So I'm just like enjoying the hell out of it. Uh, so when are you getting there, McCarthy? When are you getting there, McCarthy, you slug? <laughs> oh, man, I'd love to go there. I would absolutely love to go there. But after your last visit to Ireland, that was that six years ago, so <laughs> you still have your passport. You you have no idea what you're letting yourself in for, Mike. Seriously, no idea. Oh, he knows. I, I've I've read him in on all the – on what to expect with a, with a melon visit. Does happen. What can I say? Hey, yeah, hey, McCarthy, yeah. we were just sitting there, we're having a bit of chat about your boy McGregor and about <laughs> when the Irish 
army sort of rolled in and everyone was sledging on Nurmagomedov back a, a few years ago. And it was like the angry Soviet Eastern Bloc Tajikistan guys hadn't been briefed in that the Irish guys actually just joke about everything. <laughs> and they're like, he's not serious. It's actually the whole thing's a joke, guys. And there was one guy in there who just wanted to actually kill the guy and his whole family, right? So what's the, so what's the story with McGregor losing? What's the crack? He's a bit of a controversial figure anyway in Ireland. Like, we never want to see people do too well. <laughs> you guys laugh. I, I understand that. That's that's the Irish Catholics in Australia as well. We're like, yeah, no, no, no. Cut that tall poppy down. Oh, exactly. That's exactly it. it. So like you think, oh man, we should be so proud of like he's the top sportsman in the he's the top paid paid sportsman in the world. He's he's selling our brand. And everyone is probably looking and going, eh, you probably had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when the sledging, my eyes, man, and now when the like, sledging, when the sledging got to the wife, I was like, "That's that." He earned everything he got on the edge of his foot. Possibly. Did you see her fight. communicate with him in the ring? There was a photo of her. I'm not sure what you call that. You know, in in Top Gun, he talked about communicating with the Russians. <laughs> she communicated with him when he was sitting on his date with a broken leg. Did she? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah, he kept referencing his DMs from that from Poirier's wife, and like it, that's that's when I was like, this guy's out of his mind. But then there was a level of respect because I was like, this clown is on the mat and he's got a fractured leg, and he's still just taking the piss. Like I'm just like, <laughs> what in the world? Just for our Canadian listeners, just so you guys know, the taking the piss and pulling of the piss is very confusing especially the french canadians they're like is it taking is it pulling what's happening we don't understand i go to take a piss but you guys are taking the piss and then the barman's pulling a piss hey, what's happening very confusing <laughs> for him north of the border <laughs> so what else has been going down for you mccarthy during the week there's been a lot of feedback i want you to know there's uh that last episode was a pretty big one there with the uh critical incident debriefing i don't know i don't know that there was enough banter there. you're very quiet for an Irishman, I thought we'd hear more stories. Yeah, well, I was trying to I was trying to be professional, but then I, I realised that it's not really that kind of show. Uh, so <laughs> maybe bring a bit more to it this week, eh? <laughs> oh, have you got your shorts on today? Have you? <laughs> <laughs> just just the top, just for you two. <laughs> and, and how about you? Good week, um, uh, yeah, really buzzing after it. I never said it to you last week, guys, but congratulations. One year on the podcast. That's massive. And uh, what you're doing is unbelievable. I sent it in text afterwards, but for those people out there who weren't listening, I think it's amazing. Like One year to keep going and the stuff you've been covering is just phenomenal. So I think congratulations on that first and foremost. Like, brilliant. Thanks very much, mate. It is a funny thing to be into the second year. It is a, It really is a thing. Like, it's... And you've seen how much effort and cohort there is for the time zones and the, yeah, to get everyone on the on the call is it does take a bit because you know we've all got lives and all of us are, are working. And so not just oh, I appreciate the that. Damage mate. after a show must be. Like, <laughs> I, to be completely transparent, I only signed on because I didn't think the show was going to last the first month. And I was like, I'll do it. I'll do your stupid <laughs> show, Mike. I'll do the stupid thing. Slowpoke Espinosa yeah. speaks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's it is very tough when it's 
10, 11, sometimes midnight, and you guys are waking up and we're getting on these schedules and we're just like, hey, it's the push-pull, like, hey, you guys got to take it on the chin this week because of scheduling or whatever. And then just waking up or staying awake, and then it's just like, why am I staying awake? for for melon and raf like like i don't really want to talk to him and then as soon as we get on like melon did today he doesn't want to talk anymore he's just like let's just push fucking record let's just push record and and it, 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 it karma bit him right before this episode so he was feeling it all energized he's like i'm feeling it he's over there eating some vegemite and some coffee or something i don't know and he just feel it and it, as soon as we hit record on the first attempt his whole computer just shut off and just dead and just shut him up. And we were just dying. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that Mike kicked me off the call just to make a freaking point of it. And fair play to him. It was straight karma, brother. It wasn't me. So do we want to do a bit of a recap on last week and then kick off into uh, episode two? Is that where we're sort of at? Enough banter. Should we get into the serious stuff? Anyone got any good I- stories and Go ahead, I Raph. mean, do we even need a recap? I mean, I'm assuming we should just this because I feel like this is kind of an important piece we're going to talk about. So I'd like to leave as much space as possible. I don't want to take up sound bites covering something we've already covered, right? Like that's just okay. kind of my. Okay. So if you haven't heard last week, <laughs> rewind. Stop. Press play. Yeah, stop right now and go back. Rewind. Rewind a press play, but stay on our podcast. Don't go over to the Slowpoke Espinosa No It No <laughs> Podcast yeah, Network. Yeah. Thanks for shutting that one down. He was trying. He was trying to get his. He was getting. He was thinking about it. Yeah, he was, yeah, wasn't yeah. he? I could see. I could see the look in his eye. <laughs> All right. So episode two with McCarthy, as uh, I like Adam Bird's accent, the multi episode. You know, you're talking to an American when you hear the eye get turned into a hard instead of multi. So episode two of uh, Critical Incidents, episode one being the Critical Incident debriefing, and now part two, choices in pressure scenarios, where with um, Mark. I don't even have a nickname for you, but you normally just gets McCarthy is the whole nick is the whole extent of what everyone yells when they're at the pub or on the rugby pitch, who is a senior trauma nurse instructor with a lot of experience gained both in Riyadh and Dubai with his initial training done in sunny Dublin. And uh, over to the Middle East he went for his experiences and uh, brings a wealth of his experience to us here. So Mark, choices in pressure scenarios. I know the three of us have had a lot of pressure scenarios. Um, I know that the fuels that we're in lend itself to that. We've had feedback from people in fire and medical and ambulance um, police who also are in those uh, situations. And so this starts resonating with our audience. So where do you start here with your uh, pressure, pressure scenario choices? Yeah, so I was kind of racking my brain on this one a little bit to see where we could, where we were going to start off and where we were going to go with it because we covered quite a lot yeah, uh, last week that, that kind of talked about how we make decisions and how, how things kind of slow down and speed up depending on what's happening. And um, I was listening to something there, well, something I listen to quite often. It's a bit of a mantra thing for me, but um, I think it comes from the seven habits or seven habits of successful people. But you, you guys know this, yeah? yeah Mate, I love Stephen um, Covey. Love him. Love yeah, him. Yeah. Melon, he, Melon won't shut by, up by he, One of his things is he says that uh, he, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. So that really resonates with me now when we're talking about like uh, making decisions in, in pressure situations. So the way I always look at it is like <clears throat> when I go into work on a day um, or, you know, something comes across your desk or something happens during the day, you're not always responding to the, to, to the way things are 
in front of you. Sometimes you're responding to how you're feeling or your emotions at, at the time. And um, that, that was kind of where I was thinking of starting this off. Does that make sense to you guys or is that kind of? Absolutely. Because that, that definitely, the framework and the state of mind, just the options that you, your thinking mind sees is really limited by that emotional state marker. And that's a great place to start. Yeah. So, so with that, like just, I touched on it last time they were talking about like, we, we I'm get I'm going to give you a, I'm just going to give you a straight out of the box. You want to know about the chimp in your head, right? You, you've been waiting for this for about a week and a half now. So let's just, let's just go for it. Right. So uh, Dr. Steve Peters or professor Steve Peters has written a book called the chimp paradox. And you've essentially got to three people in your head, right? You've got the human who's rational. You've got the chimp who's emotional, and then you've got the computer that stores all the info. And we kind of covered a bit of that in the last episode, I think. But here's the catch. <clears throat> Anytime that anything comes in that challenges you or that makes you feel uncomfortable, the very free, the way he looks at it is the very first thing that's going to react is your chimp. Just like in a real world, the chimp is faster, it's stronger, it's more territorial, and it's designed purely to keep you alive and to keep you fighting fit. And the other thing it does well, it, it, it's there to help you to reproduce. <laughs> so <laughs> you are going to... <laughs> uh. The four Fs, fight, flight, freeze, and fill it in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this appeals to Raph. I think Raph's all chimp. <laughs> he... That, that just tells me you've been watching me sleep, which is pretty creepy. Go, <laughs> go on, Mike. go on. But uh, no, but I think that those two, those two kind of ideas tied together when we're talking about choices in, in pressure situations. And I don't even mean like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be on the battlefield. It doesn't have to be flying the helicopter. It doesn't have to be in the research room of the ER. You know, the, these things kind of affect us on a day-to-day -day basis. And unless we're aware of it, we're going to make, poor choices, whether, whether it's a life or death situation where, where we might, might face it or for any other people out there who are just trying to get through their day kind of, you know, without having that kind of emotional overriding system jumping in and kind of hijacking you. He talks a lot about chimps hijacking you a lot. So um, that's kind of where I wanted to start. And, and you know, I, I, it's very easy to come up with examples. The most common one is, is on the road. Someone cuts you off. You know, straight away, <laughs> straight away, you get territorial about it. You know, Mike with the Canadian ducks on the on the water, like there was no way they were staying <laughs> in his way. Bang, just straight through them. And, uh, you know, but that, that can have an effect on you later in the day, because let's say if you allow that person who cut you off on the on the road to trigger that chimp or that emotional response in you, you'll get into the office. And like I said, you you're going to start seeing the world ever so slightly different than how it is. You're going to start reacting to it, how you're feeling rather than how you're, how it's actually happening or how, how it's being perceived by others. So I think that's the first thing is, is kind of talking about your emotion and your emotional state. And yeah, there's, there's a few other things we can talk about later on, but I'm sure you've all had experiences of that, right? There's going to be a future experience because when Mellon gets to America, I'm literally going to drive him on an American highway and just let people cut us off and do all kinds of stuff and film his reactions. So that'll be on the next episode. <laughs> reactions. I've only got the rational part, mate, and the computer. Dude, I literally just pictured Mike and Mellon driving. Do you guys ever see that scene from Borat where Borat takes driving lessons and he's <laughs> screaming? 
<laughs> I like you. You like me. Can you yeah. be my friend? <laughs> yeah. Just for all the listeners, take a moment. Uh, leave our podcast. I'm just, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but it's a funny scene. Anyways, back to Mark's uh, thing regarding the just emotion. I think that being absolutely fully aware of where you're at in your state, uh, like you said, it doesn't have to be combat. It doesn't have to be, you know, some high, because there's high stress everywhere. But I have noticed that my response is generally better, meaning like once I've gone through the situation, uh, it meaning I, by better meaning like after the incident has happened, I look back and I think, right, what I did was the right thing. I'm not saying I always do the right thing. I'm just saying if I'm very aware and very keen of my emotional state and my emotional IQ, if you will, at the time. Um, so I'll take that into account before I make the decision to do whatever it is I need to do to get through that pressure situation. What I've noticed is generally speaking, if I'm aware of it, when I'm on the other side, I'm like, I did, I felt like I did the right thing. Right. Like, and I think it's important to know that in those pressure situations, we're talking like sometimes it could just be mere seconds, right? You might have minutes, you, maybe it's longer than that, but most of the time it's, it's intense, it's quick, and you have to just get through to the other side. It could be a life or death, you know, uh, life or limb sort of thing. And I've always noticed that for myself specifically, uh, that's been massively helpful. Melon? I think the, you just touched the, at the start, what resonates for me, Raf, is being aware of your emotional state. Like I think that when you have the awareness of your emotional state, you are much closer to the rational space and like more options become apparent immediately. And when you, when you, you know, when you're possessed by the emotion, you have no awareness of the emotion. You are, the emotion has you, you don't have the emotion anymore. Would that be uh, sort of fair to say that that's how you see this situation, Mark? Yeah, well, like I said, we're talking about making, we're talking about making decisions in, in critical situations and, you don't want to compartmentalize it too much, but but one thing that's definitely going to factor in nearly every time, and I spoke about it in the last podcast, like it might be it might be a patient who looks like somebody you know, it might be a small child, it might be, you know, it, it, the, all of those things are going to create an emotion in you, um, and this, you know, stress in you as well. So it's to be able to recognize that moment when you feel you're going into the, to a stress state being aware of it and the only time the only way you can really be aware of it is to actually look back on it and train on it and reflect on it so that you don't let that stress and emotion override you because that's how we are designed as humans that's how we survived this long it's been fight fight freeze and, and that's what gets us through you know what i am thinking about as you're talking about that is you're getting a reaction out of somebody. And I know that I use that to evaluate a lot of people in my circle in my life is when it, whether it's in training, whether it's in real world, everyday life, I, there are people out there that strictly do things to get a reaction out of people, whether it's positive, whether it's negative, whether it's, you know, we're, we're ragging on melon, you know, just to see him freak out. Uh, but those people exist, like they're just out there in situations and that's honestly what I look at for the first time is just like, here comes stress. Here comes a ball of shit. Like, and you see the people who instantly just melt and just freak out and start yelling and pointing the finger. And it's just like, yeah, I expect that, you know, like almost all the time. It's like, ah, I kind of expect that. But then you pick out that those one or two people that are calm, the reserved, and you see them processing and that pause and melon, correct me if I'm wrong. You quoted somebody saying this one time, but 
that pause is the humanity side. That's the person. And you see them processing, taking everything in and, and, you know, really making good decisions on like, okay, this is happening. What needs to happen first? What needs to happen second? And those are the people I like to relate myself with. You just quoted Stephen Covey for info there, Mike. That's Stephen Covey again. So he talks about the stimulus response being the animal when it's an immediate response to stimulus and that the humanity is in the gap. We just have an awareness. And as soon as you're able to take a pause, you'll have a whole host of options open up in front of you. And the more you think, the more you'll see. And the more often you do this, the better you'll be able to choose rather than falling into something. Definitely in... Um, instructing in flying as Raf would know any emotional decision is always a lower quality lower fidelity decision than the one that's rational and if anyone's in a fear state or in a anger or reaction or upset in the flight station the decision making you can actually see it deteriorate and the people are able to take a breath catch themselves and get it back like they're the ones who can turn you know the old start of the mission raft where the little stone falls off the hill and knocks a couple and you get the avalanche mission where it just goes to custard from like a bad departure or a bad mission brief. The guys who can, and women who can pause, take stock, get their breath, refocus and recover from there are the ones and you can, you see a massive difference in the people who are able to do that. And it always comes from that calmness. So where does it go after that McCarthy? Yeah, so that's exactly, you, you've, you've just actually hit the nail on the head completely. So first of all is recognizing that state in yourself, as you just said on the flight deck, it's 100% that. Now, there, there is a thing known, I don't know if you guys have come across it, you probably have flying, but it's known as the startle effect. So this, uh-huh. this, is, this, is, this is something that um, it, it's very, it's, it's starting to be looked at in the aviation industry on the commercial pilot side where a lot of the time you're if you're cruising you're kind of in a what they call kind of a tuned out like if you're on a long road on a highway no traffic music's on and you're just cruising everything's going fine but then something happens a warning light goes off the flight state changes very much maybe in a military situation where uh, maybe your your patrol is going fine you weren't expecting anything it should have been routine and then bang you know something rings out a shot rings out well that wasn't supposed to happen same with us, we have a stable patient, you know, ticking along fine. You go to move them out of the room or move them onto the CT scanner, bang, they arrest. And that's known as the startle effect. And what it, what happens with the startle effect is it actually paralyzes you. They reckon from about three to five seconds. Like if you're not used to it or if you're not kind of, well, <laughs> you're not used to it because it's a startle effect, but it can actually paralyze you dead still for about three to five seconds. And you can imagine like in the situations you guys find yourselves in, that could be massively detrimental now the next thing that happens is the recovery from the startle effect can take from anything to 10 to 60 seconds depending on the task at hand if it's a simple uh, basic motor skill it can delay your reaction time from uh, about 10 to about 30 seconds but if you're working on a more complex cognitive basis like troubleshooting a situation in an aircraft it can diminish your response for up to 60 seconds now that may seem like like nothing to your listeners um but in those moments, that can be a lifetime. Um, and that that is all again about just your your it's your that chimp, that that emotional response, that innate response, fight, flight, freeze. Um, but that's what it's designed to do. It's if a tiger was to rock out of the jungle in front of you 
your survival instincts just take over, but it may take you a second to process what's actually happening. And there's a great scene. I don't know if you've seen Sully. You know, the the flight that uh, landed in the Miracle Hudson on the Hudson. Miracle on the Hudson. Yep. Yeah, that was Raph, wasn't it? <laughs> no? Um, my bad. Wrong movie. That was the other one you crashed. Got it. Moving on. Yeah, no. <laughs> but... Mike, you'll never guess what they hit flying out of the airport. Canadians. Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good segue, McCarthy. I'll freaking pay that. You get a pint of black the next time we're together. <laughs> but there's a great there's a great scene in that where um, where one of the guys who's uh, on the incident review committee says all the simulations tell us that you should have been able to turn around and land that plane on a, on a, on a, on a, on a runway. Um, what they didn't take into account in real life was the startle effect. The amount of time, the simulations just ran it as if it was a computer program, bang, 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 step, 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 step. You should have been able to turn that plane around. It shouldn't have landed in the river. But what they didn't take into effect was the three seconds it took uh, the pilot and the co-pilot to, to actually understand what was happening to the, to the aircraft. And once they actually input that thirty sec, that three second pause, they, they realized that there was absolutely no way he could have done it any other way. So that's that's one thing we have to take into account when we're making these critical decisions. Is our, our if something happens out of the blue, our mind actually can't catch up fast enough to 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 um to kind of cope with it. So we, we have to be aware of that as well. Um, does does that make sense? Hundred percent, McCarthy. It's it- you are you really surprise me sometimes with your knowledge of the aviation stuff. Obviously, it's a bit of cross pollination happening with the medical world. This is a real key thing we train for with emergency engine failures after takeoff. A FADO drill is like Raf and I have probably done a thousand of them, maybe maybe more, maybe five thousand. It's really a standard engines at peak temperature, peak power from a cold engine. It's the most likely time it's going to fail, and it's critical. Obviously, you're climbing away from the ground very low, and so we train guys. So that that three to five second reaction time often will be the difference between someone surviving or not or making a, a good decision here in uh, where I operate, we're over the city. So a reaction that's delayed there. So we just, we drill this in the simulator so often that at the first sign of the impending failure, the reaction's starting already, and the safest possible reaction's occurring, while then you can go through the processing of is this really happening? So we train an instinctive response to a, the start of a failure and uh, when it really happens, like when, when I'm training a new guy, you, you know, I'm always telling him just, you know, when I, when I give you a failure, I want you like five seconds of nothing before you turn. So then you're going to be more realistic in when you look at and see the angles, is it going to work or not? Go ahead, Raf. Yeah. And just if I could layer on to what Melon just said, I, I'd like to give the military props in that, in that, um, in that they, the institution, the military institution actually does a really good job about teaching service members to not just, uh, you know, pause, take a moment to realize what's happening and then move forward after you make a decision. But they also teach you to kind of like split it up into immediate threats, you know, threats that might be intermediate. And then there's like the long-term, like, you know, stuff like, I know it's a threat, but I don't, like we call it a 50 meter target, hundred meter target and 500 meter target. Right. Like in almost every scenario. Um, and I'd actually, I'd like to give props to Colonel Hines because I'm pretty sure he's the first guy I ever heard say it. 
referencing to different threats, right? So there's the threat that could literally kill me right now. And that's usually me not flying my Blackhawk the way I should be. And then there's a hundred meter target, which might be insurgents or somebody firing at the aircraft. It might be effective. So I could always maneuver away. And then there's a long-term, you know, there's like maybe a 500 meter target. Maybe it's fuel. Maybe the maneuvering that I just did has eaten up more gas than I normally could carry. So now the two and a half hour flight time has been reduced to an hour and 45. But all these things, if you just learn to compartmentalize, just like you said, um, you can actually manage those a little bit better. And I hats off to the military because I feel like that's where I got most of that not just the principles and philosophies, but actual training on how to how to manage that. I, I completely agree with you, Raf. When I was in close quarters combat uh, instructor and I'm training guys to go through, we go through that. We I, I know it's not flying, but you know, we we go through our priorities of threat. You're talking about meters and stuff, but our our priorities of threat, every time we go into a building to clear it, say there's 30 rooms in a building, every room is a reset. And every room requires the same list like it's there. But, uh, you know, like Mark was saying, 30 seconds could be an eternity. You know, like you could clear a room in less than five. And, you, I mean, the whole world can change in five seconds. You know, you could have down teammates, get people are getting killed, stuff going off, whatever. But, like, every time we go into a room, we do our primary scan in which we're looking. And we're, it's, it's controlled. It's not super fast and you're just going through the motions. But we're going through our levels. It's uh, closed door, open door, open space, unknown, and then guys with guns, right? So that primary scan, I'm looking for those top two shooters and unknowns. Like who here, who's who's living, who's dying? Rescan on a second, and you're taking that pause. You're still you're still vigilant, you're still aggressive, but that second one, you're just taking that extra three to five seconds to be like, what else is in this room? And then you're moving on stuff. Um, as soon as you're done with that room, reset. You're going to the next. And it just repeats, repeats, repeats. So the amount of repetitive runs that you get, not, and that's just one example, but think about the other things in life. Like what are you doing every single day that's just repetitive where you can reset, where you can use that framework and just sit there and go reassess, 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 and then reset, you know, reassess and reset. Um, That's something I use every day. And that's something that the military kind of gave me is to be like, Hey, I just need to pause for, three seconds, which seems fast, but man, I can get everything I need to know if I take that step for that three seconds and really figure out what's going on. And, and by military, he means CW3 Espinoza. So thank mm. you. Mm. No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's friggin', it's a great, on, honestly, I'm, I'm loving this episode already. It's such good overlap between uh, emergency room trauma and what we do, aviation and you know, hearing some of the detail of the special forces. So startle effect and recovery. Then what happens, Mark? Well, I'm sure you, you, you've, you've all hit on it again. Look, I feel like I'm not really bringing anything new to the table here, but the, the, the way to get over a startle effect, and it's amazing. If you listened to me last week, I was trying to do it because I was actually really nervous talking to you guys, but now this week I'm totally fine. I know what you're all about. Um, so... <laughs> He knows that we're a pack of something. What I was actually trying to do. <laughs> so, so the first thing they say to do is is, is breathe, and it, you just said it, Mike and and, and um, uh, Raf. The first thing you want somebody to do is just is just breathe, just take a breath, because the second you consciously try to control your breathing, is the second that you take the 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 automaticus response away from the the emotional brain and you're actually starting to think about what you're doing so the first step in in that is to is to breathe 
The second thing you should try to do is try to actively control the pace of your speech. You ever watch anybody, I'm going to call it chimping out from now on. Mike, you said it exactly like somebody just going ballistic and you don't want to, you know, you know, they're full of it. You don't want to deal with them. They're just stressing your life. Watch how fast they talk next time. Next time somebody walks into a room and they're, they're chimping out and they're just going 90 miles an hour. That's a sign that they're not really in control, that their, their emotional animal has hijacked them. And you see it all the time in pressure situations when it's not going so well in the, in the emergency room or something like that. People just start saying things. They just start talking for the sake of talking quite fast. And again, it's just telling you that they're, they're probably not in the right space to be dealing with this at the moment, or they need to take a breath, slow it down and start communicating, communicating clearly. The other thing you might notice as well is they just start grabbing for stuff. I see this all the time in the ED, especially when you're just training people. And I'm not sure, I've always kind of said, maybe it's because we're nurses and we always feel like we need to be doing something to help. Boil the rags, you know, tear the water, you know, whatever it is. I'm aware that it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, again, it, it, this filters directly to what I do and everything. So an example of if you have a, a pistol in your holster and I tell you to pull it out and I want you to shoot a target and hit it, right, right square in the chest as fast as you can. What's your initial thing It's just grab it as fast as you can pull it out and just pull the trigger. Right. And you're going now there's a, there's a saying that we say, and a lot of people use it, but you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, you know, and that, that can literally be proven on the clock. So we do shooting drills like that, or where it's like, go for your pistol, pull it out as fast as you can and hit the target. Right. And you see people just sloppily, like the hand goes for the gun, you miss the grip, but it still comes out on the second or third attempt. You throw that gun up, your sights aren't lined up and you just squeeze and pull the trigger while you, you slap the trigger. Cause you're, you're in a hurry and you miss the target completely, but Hey, it was fast, but you missed the target. So did you succeed? No, you failed. But if you go back to the basics and what I found with training is if I can do any action while speaking it at that speed, if I can talk at that speed while doing it, in a sense, I've mastered it. I know exactly the thought process match matches up with my uh, muscle, my muscle awareness and my reaction time and my ability to, to move through the drill. Um, and you could actually, if you go slower and smooth, you can pull that weapon, get your sights on target and squeeze that round off and put it right where it's supposed to be better and more accurately than if you just went all, you know, Hollywood style and tossed it out there and, and, and clacked it off. So um, that, that feeds to me, but that can feed into anything. Slow, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Our, uh, all the, very, the very first director we had here in uh, when, when we opened the, the hospital here, that, that was his saying as well. <laughs> exactly that. It's good. Flying as well. Like if you ever listen to, Emergency tapes. There's a whole lot of stuff on uh, YouTube. There's the air crash investigators as well. And you can hear when the emergency happens, people overreact and jump on the radio and people just want to talk. And I reckon that's the aviation equivalent of the nurses grabbing everything there, Mark. People just want to get on and say something. And so I just keep your mouth shut that person dealing with the emergency does not need any extra stimulus or inputs coming into the ear while they're dealing with that engine failure or the whatever it is. And so that's something teaching people, we, we say sit on your hands 
and it's lit- literally <laughs> young melon my instructor shout out to hard castle was his actual name hardy was melon stick your hand under your butt cheek don't touch anything literally put your hand under your butt and don't start moving switches and controls while you're in that processing stage so i reckon there's a couple of different industries here and we're all talking about the same thing maybe we didn't have the framework that you've got there mccarthy which is really good the startle effect and the uh the stages of recognizing it and dealing with it but it's it's clear that these experts in our fields had an awareness that there's a reaction occurring and you need to control it and get your faculties running again. So deep breath, sit on your hands, slow is smooth, smooth is fast for uh, Mike on the battlefield and McCarthy doing the same thing in the ER. Yeah, and one of, one of the trainings we do, it's, it's, it's called um, MAPA, it's called Management of Potential Aggressive pay, um, management of aggression and potential aggression. Like we said, like we, we, we come across people who maybe have an illness that, that may not keep them kind of um, in their lucid mind the whole time, or, you know, we, we're, we're dealing with, with, with drugs or, you know, alcohol intoxication. So, you know, we, we do cross those scenarios sometimes as well. And so, so one of the things we actually do is um, we get one of the instructors talking on the screen are talking at the screen and uh, one of us will slyly go to the back of the classroom and slam a book down and yell. Uh, <laughs> and what we do now is we, is we say to the people, all right, kind of, and some of the expletives that come out of people who you'd never expect it, it, it it's amazing. So we, we recreate that, that startle effect. But what we do is we get them to quickly think about, you know, how are you feeling right now? What's changed? You know, people will be agitated for minutes afterwards. Their heart rate would have gone up Their Blood pressure, if we were measuring it, would definitely have gone up. You know, like we said, they, they shout out words that they don't really mean to. They might be looking around a lot more, waiting for a second kind of startle. But it, it's if you start observing people in that state, you can start to see, yeah, you know, how are they going to make decisions in the future? Um, are they able to make rational decisions or is it going to take them a bit of time to calm down? Um, and I think that's important, not just for... Not just for the person, not just for you making a decision, but if you're part of a team, to know that you're in a safe space with that person as well, especially if you're not the team leader or you're, you're you know, you're, you've got a joint kind of approach to dealing with something. It's important to be able to to recognize that too. And wh- <clears throat> I I know my answer, but what would you say is the solution to people that you slam that book down, their heart rate goes up, and they're losing their shit? But it's like, hey man, you're here, like you're part of this team. So like, what's the solution? How do you, how do you fix that? Do you run away from it? For, for, for me, for all, every, everything I want to do is, is I said last week, you want to bring it to the front of their mind, make them aware of it. Be aware you're in that state. If you're not aware that you're in that state, then we're going to have a real hard time trying to move forward. Yeah. Acknowledgement and, time and exposure. So yeah, it's, you know, we've talked about this. It's uncomfortable. It sucks. Like, Oh my God, what was that? Uh, Just like anything else, the more time you have doing it and experiencing it, you know, it's like anything else. It's not going to be as bad the next time you're kind of retaining it, know what to expect. And you're like, okay, I know that noise. That's not going to hurt me. Take a second, look around. What was that? Who did that? What do I have to do? You know, and then you can start slowing it down and thinking about those initial things. But yeah, 
No, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. And the, the, the other thing I kind of wanted to bring in today, like we started off with it, but like it's, it's about, it's about knowing your world as well. And like the perceptions we have, you know what I mean? There's no way I'm the same vigilant person in the, in the ER. <laughs> Melons will tell you this than I am at the, at the bar or, you know, <laughs> when I'm sitting at home, you, you know, you've got different we when we touched on it last time as well you've got different levels of situational awareness so the the one i came across or the one i i, I referred to that you've got you've got your you've got your tuned out um and it's interesting that you you know that you get you can get into a tuned out state even driving a car there's some crazy statistic like most accidents car accidents happen within i think it's like five kilometers of a house or something it's because you've gone through the stressful part of the journey where you were in like a high alert phase you know, you're on the highway, whatever, you know, you're fully alert, you know what's going on, you're getting closer to home now, you may be getting tired, but you know, you kind of hit in, you, you fall into a routine where you start to kind of zone out or you kind of become more relaxed and something happens and you're not able to react as you would have if, if you're on the highway. So like you, you talk about situational awareness as well. So, but you can't stay in high stress states for a long time either. I'm sure you're aware of that it, it starts to wear you down. And again, when we do our, our MAPA training, you know, sometimes you can't diffuse a situation. You're, you're just not going to be able to do it because the person is so amped up on whatever they're, whatever it is they're amped up about. Sometimes you may just have to let them diffuse themselves purely because that kind of emotion does not last forever you you can't keep it you can't keep it that high forever but um yeah it's it those people in those states are not going to make rational decisions and don't expect them to make rational decisions so it's it's just again another kind of point to be to be aware that's, of there. that's a really good that's a really good point for team leaders for aircraft captains for people in leadership positions that you can see the that's a really good one there mark about observing the people around you when you see them in that emotional state you'll your point then, don't expect them to make rational decisions. And, you know, like a little boy who's being told by his mum, you know, you're tired and you need to go to bed, telling them they're in an emotional state obviously is not going to work. But just be aware of it and don't give them something. Like unload them, give them space, allow them to vent and just be aware that that part of your team is not going to be productive for a period. I think there's, I think there's absolute gold in that. There's uh, the CRM, the crew resource management for air crew, and that is a really good point. Mark, I have a question for you. How do you manage yourself in your, I'll say your tempo in that environment in a, you know, I'll keep it to the medical side, but a, say a mass casualty uh, thing. So you have multiple people, multiple uh, points of input coming in. So one person might come to you and they're missing their leg and they're screaming and you're going off and then you're like, Hey, I have to take care of you. You go to the next room and it's a little girl. That's like, you know, I, I have a boo-boo and you know, she's calm and she's scared, but you know, and you're going from like a hundred to 40 and then back to 80 to the next bit. And you're just riding that roller coaster. You know, how do you, how do you, how would you say you can deal with that? Like what's something in between maybe? There's, there's, there's two ways. There's, 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 there's two things to look at here. So first of all, to, to give you a really soft answer, we, we have structures in place. So we, we do look at our structures. So in, in those kind of major events, you will always follow a, a, tri a triaging structure. Um, the second thing we always look at is um, our, our ABCDE approach. And I'm sure you guys are, are, are somewhat familiar with it. 
if somebody doesn't have an airway, that's our priority. We, we've got to look after their airway first. You don't have an airway, you're going to be gone in, in a couple of seconds. As, as you said in the last episode, taking a big deep breath after like two minutes, like, um, same with breathing. If, 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 they're, if they're not breathing, you know, they're going to be in trouble. Um, in trauma specifically, even before you do A and B, you'd look for external bleeding. You know, you do a blood sweep in, in military terms or you look for blood on the floor and control catastrophic bleeding. So we do have those processes that we go through. And um, we, we talked a little bit about breaking down, you know, complex situations. That's how we do it in the medical field. Now, the second thing, and this, it doesn't have to be a mass casualty incident. I can give you incidences where I've had doctors and nurses with me on a team where we've just spent 45 minutes, you know, an hour trying to resuscitate somebody's father. Um, and we've thrown all the resources into that room. We've worked really, really hard. You know, the, the outcome hasn't been positive, but it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I've still got a, a 10 hour shift to go. I, that can't ruin my day. That's, it's not like, all right, guys, close up the ED. And we've already talked about it. You take a deep breath. You, you kind of compart you compartmentalize it as best you can. You console the family and then you just have to switch back into your, to your routine. Um, but again, that's going through your situ situational awareness. So you're going from your high alert stress state and you're trying to bring yourself back to that kind of focused awareness that to, for everything that's going on and really controlling the physiological side as best you can in that moment is the best thing you can, you can do to get you set, to get your, to get your cognitive side back down to a level where you can operate. Uh, having the understanding that the energy, you know, again, I'll, I'll go back to the CQC thing. That's what I used to and trained to, but the energy in one room sometimes cannot transfer into the other. So, you know, I go into one room and there's two shooters and I, you know, I blow, I blow them away and I clear the room and my, my adrenaline's going, my heart's going. I'm just like, these guys just shot at me. And you know, the intensity's up. Uh, and then I go into the next room and there's women and children scared in the corner. And if I go in there all crazy amped up and, you know, and I just, I'm on fire finger on the trigger and I'm going in and it's just like, I squeeze the, the round off at the wrong time or I do something. It's just like, I can't have that, you know, like, we look, we get looked at, you know, in the military a lot, it's just like machines and robots. Like they're just going in to kill everybody. It's like, no, there's cognitive decisions being made on the fly and riding that roller coaster is exhausting. Like by the time you're done clearing a building, you're, you're tired as hell mentally, physically, everything that ties in, but adjusting, take the room for what it is, deal with what you have to. Once the call comes out, like, Hey, all clear. It's that reset, like you take, you know, I take a deep breath. Okay, next room, reset. And I go in and see, and, and just see what it gives me. <clears throat> and it's kind of fun, don't get me wrong, because it's like a puzzle and you're going in. It's the challenge of like, I don't know what I'm going into. I don't know what to expect. And you go in and you just do the assessment all over again. Um, I do that in a room. Like if I walk into a room with my friends and everybody's ticked off and they're fighting, and it's just like, well, I don't want that energy. I'm going to go in this room where there's calm people and, and talk about, you know, how football, American football is better than rugby. You know, I mean, let's, let's talk about real sports here. So, I mean, you know, you're hurting us. <laughs> you're hurting us here, Mike. You're cutting McCarthy and I right down to the hey, soul. I heard that. I'm not liking the energy in this room right now. No, I don't I, like the energy in here. I heard about the shot at the beginning. I'm not deaf. And, uh, you know, Raph would back me up here talking about, you know, Espanol football. It's totally different. It doesn't count either, but you know, he got kicked out of the room. That's why he's quiet. Just so everybody's tracking. He got karma bit him next. 
So just so everyone knows the the Wi-Fi where Tio Ruff is is not the same as it is perhaps in downtown San Francisco or Sydney where you're sipping your lattes. So uh, he will get back in when he can. It's really um I love this stuff around uh, monitoring and being aware of your physiological state there, McCarthy. I know I've got a lot of stuff around peak performance and they talk about peak arousal with arousal being like your uh, stress or stimulus or anxiety. And when it's really low, your performance is low and it's a pretty much a standard bell curve where when you're really stressed again, it's really low and there's a midpoint where we all perform at our best and everyone's going to be slightly different. I had a, uh, a military instructor, Matt Hall, he now flies he was flying in the Red Bull Air Race. He's actually the, the last champion of that. He's obviously one of the top guys, fighter pilot. In his prep, I've, I've seen some videos of him and spent a lot of time with him. He'd get his cans of Red Bull out and mark out the track that they would fly around. And those guys are the only ones in the world who can fly around at 50 feet in an aircraft at that speed doing 9G and not die. And a lot of them are not very scientific. It's a lot of eyeball and judgment. And he was very much straight down the line preparation. So he'd mark out his track, he'd walk through it. You'd see him videos of him doing it just exactly the same as he'd teach us to learn aerobatics and, and other basics. And he would then go, all right, now the wind is in from this direction. And so he'd do a walk around and delay his turn a bit or pull a bit tighter in this part of the track for the wind. And his prep would continue until he'd get into the aircraft. He'd strap in 15 minutes early. And before he put his helmet on, he would have a deep breath and he would just think, where's my physiological state? Am I too relaxed? Am I too stressed? Do I need a couple of big breaths and a bit of a slap in the face to get myself going because I'm, I'm, I'm on the downside of the anxiety curve? Or am I a bit too tense and I just need to breathe slowly, bring myself back? And he was a master at hitting that peak. And it's no surprise as this guy's finished as the number one uh, pilot in the world in the Red Bull Air Race. So that's Matt Hall. Self-awareness, monitoring your physiological state prior to going into a super stressful situation, flying those things around uh, 9G at 50 feet. So this stuff, I love hearing about it in the different situations. And hearing you two guys talking about the similarities of McCarthy going from, you know, one patient in the ER to the next in trauma situations and Mike going through a building in a close quarter combat situation. And yet there's a pause, there's a reset there's a reassess and then flow the checks and the checks obviously different, but, you know, taking them as they come one, <laughs> hopefully not making a mess. Not if you're a good shooter, you won't have a mess. That's all right. Um, I, th I think that relates to sport as well. You know, amping guys getting together, doing, doing the Haka, you know, I know that's tradition, you know, but like watching the Haka do to like, if that doesn't jack you up and get you ready to start hitting people and, you know, getting into that mindset, then I don't, I don't personally, I've never done one, but just watching it, like I want to go out and do Haka when I'm going out to play, you know, if I'm going to play like putt putt golf or something, like I just want to do the Haka and then just get into the mindset of just like, I'm going to crush something right now. You know, that's a thing. It's really a thing when you're on the pitch and it's only the Polynesian uh, countries that have that tradition. And if you talk about cultural appropriation, if you were to do one and you're not from those countries to be considered such disrespect, anyway, they, when you receive one and I've received a few on the rugby field, it is as intimidating as you'd imagine. And those people are getting into an amped physiological state and it definitely is an advantage. It's definitely an advantage for the first 
the first couple of minutes of the game, those guys are at like the race car engine is like humming in terms of running into contact. They're ready to go. So yeah, Harker, <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. I'd just like That's to point right. out right now that Melon's armpits are soaking wet. He's sweating. Uh, talking oh, to man, him. I'm getting into this. I'm getting into this. <laughs> there was an Australian uh, rugby league player. He famously turned his back on the New Zealand rugby league team during the Harker. And he came off. He was probably the hardest man on the pitch. And he came off after about 25 minutes with several broken bones and scars all over his head because they had just put shots onto him. <laughs> Before he got the ball, after he got rid of the ball. Yeah, pretty famous. And ladies and gentlemen, we've been rejoined by Slowpoke Espinosa. He's managed to pedal faster on the uh, internet wheel in his uh, room there under the watchful gaze of Wonder Woman and the Suicide Squad chick. Welcome back, Raph. You hear it? There it is. There it is. <laughs> that means F you. Yeah. There it is. Oh, it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so should we just keep it moving along after the uh, controlling the physiological state and having an assessment of yourself there where does it go after that mark yeah so so there that that's that's the reset and you, you you're just at that point you're you're ready to go again or at least you're ready to make a rational choice as as to what to do now we've touched on it like we don't we don't shoot from the hip really we we do have processes that we go to go through like i said and um, we go through a abcd assessment <clears throat> so that, that's what we call our primary survey we we might run through a secondary survey and then we reassess so we're constantly using this cycle of evaluate identify intervene reevaluate eii and, and we just constantly rotate ro rotate through that and um, and that's what we we base our decisions on but we talked about it earlier on the last podcast about like just all the input, just trying to slow things down, trying to get every every piece of input to 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 make the the correct decision in in the moment. And like Mike said, you're not always going to get it right. Like failure is inevitable at some point, but it, it it's to make sure that you can walk away from any situation and say, "Listen, I did the best job I could, given the circumstances in the environment." And you know, that's all you can ask for. You, in our in our line of work in your line of work you know we can't win them all that's just the way it is um, and that's that's what you have to accept and it's knowing when to accept that as well it's knowing when to have that introspection and it's knowing when you need to go back and like i said in the last episode do the debrief do the hard reflection that that, that piece as well there's a real point in in uh, i mean i'm getting a lot out of what we've been talking about in that, um, the follow-on step and the, the training that can uh, equip people to deal with their first encounter and developing resilience, and there can be a bit of a, a feeling like, I know there's uh, the snowflakes and there's that conversation around the, you know, the, the, the current millennials perhaps, but training with realism to develop resilience so that people are able to deal with these stressful days that are going to come to all the people who are in these situations we can get through it with the clarity of mind i'm sure mike's training you know i'm sure his startle effect that mapper stuff i'm sure that he's doing there is going to be at a, at a very extreme level and and raf and i with pilots dealing with uh, engine failures and so on just drilling that again and again and again so that you're able to have that 
physiological feeling, have the clouded head, go and sit with your instructor and debrief, come back and go again and improve over time and be able to deal with yourself first before you're able to deal with the situation. I think there's some real gold for people out there who are listening, who are in training in, in, in instructing positions to be able to put the focus on the realism and make sure that there are scenarios inside that training safe bubble where the students are able to experience stress and have the feeling of not getting it right and being able to debrief as McCarthy's saying. I reckon there's a lot in that for people out there. Well, let me switch up real quick. How about, how about having a tough day at work and coming home to your wife and kids? Do you think that applies? Yep. hundred percent. That's going to happen every day. God willing. You know, so transitioning and being able to deal with that is going one room to the next or one environment to the next and coming home and just having that input, you know, hey, I don't know what I'm coming home to. I know what I just came from, but uh, you got to kind of hit that reset and just come in and, you know, it's it's good. Uh, McCarthy, like you talked about compartmentalizing, sometimes that is just required and, and it takes a lot of training to get to that point to be able to do it. But I always like to, rem to remind people that you need to deal with that compartmentalized portion. You can't just let it sit there for days, weeks, months, years, um, because if you think you just have one in there, you're probably wrong. And there's a lot of stuff you need to like decompress, debrief and uh, let out and understand like, okay, like, I had to deal with this. I got to let it go. I got to move on so I can go home and be a, a good husband. So I can go home and be a good father and listen to my kids days. And, you know, Hey, my, maybe my wife had a day and I don't need to go home and bring this energy and, and this attitude, you know, she had nothing to do with it, you know? So um, sometimes you've even got to be able to have that reset, like prior to operating the vehicle, right? Like prior to driving home, sometimes you've got to take a moment and have that, pause the reset the reassess that we've been talking about before you put the key in the ignition like there will be times when you're not right to drive just very quickly the day that uh cherry's waters broke with with annie at 22 weeks and i got the phone call from her i was supposed to go flying and i put my knee pad down and walked out to find my cadet and the chief flying instructor's there and i'm like i think i have to go to the hospital and he's like what are you talking about you got a mission to fly i was like no like my wife and he sort of looked at me and he's like where are your keys and i've had my flying knee pad and no keys and went back and got my keys and walked out to the car and went to the wrong car park and sort of stood there and went, shit, got in the car. And I thought, I've got to get from here to the hospital and it's a 50 minute drive and I can't kill myself on the way. And I really sat there like for 20, 30 seconds and then started the car and went. And I'm sure that there's something in that for a lot of the people coming out of these situations, as you're saying, Mike, the transition even before you get home, sometimes you've got to be able to shelve that stuff. That compartmentalizing McCarthy's talking about, there's a real wisdom in that to be able to leave the stuff at work, maybe take a few minutes with the team and debrief before leaving. So you know you're right. Mm -hmm. so, so you, just going back to that, Mike, you've actually hit on something that I kind of, I kind of glanced over. The, the, the whole thing about you, the whole thing about the, the chimp is that it's there whether you like it or not. You can't change it. It's it was it was born when you were born. It's part of you. It is what it is. It's not an excuse to act in a in a bad way, or it's not an excuse to fly off the handle because now that you know it's there, you're just saying, okay, well that's the way my chimp operates. He's it's an aggressive chimp or whatever. It's like owning a dog. 
you're responsible for its behavior. So when we say compartmentalize those emotions, absolutely, you, you can learn to train your chimp, but like any wild animal, it has to be exercised as well. You can't just bang it in a cage and leave it alone. It, it has to be exercised and it has to be allowed to, to run loose and it has to be allowed to do its thing because that's what it is. Um, but it's to do it in a safe and, and controlled environment. You wouldn't bring it into the mall and just let it off its leash. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go bananas. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What you do bring it to is you bring it to an enclosure where it feels safe, where it's trees to climb and hide and do what it has to do and, you know, work off whatever it's got to do. So you, you've absolutely nailed it hundred percent. And it's not about pushing those emotions down. It's knowing when to release them and when it's safe to release them and, and how to release them in, in, a, in a safe way. And it's not an excuse to just go, Oh, that's the way I am. And, that, and that, right. hundred percent. And that could, that, that cage or whatever you're talking about, that could be with friends, with teammates, or uh, I just want to give a quick little shout out. That could be to uh, Dr. Aaron, uh, who is on here. You can call someone just to, you know, have a counselor or, or psychologist, you know, um, just to give a shout out, uh, her and her new husband, Samir, got married. Good married couple. Married this weekend out in California. They did a, they did a cross-country drive and got married, and they, they had some pictures and everything. And just congratulations to Samir and, and Aaron. So, uh, But, yeah, great points is there are resources. There are places that are controlled environments where you can go and take care of that, that, that side. Wow. Where's the time gone? I can't believe we're freaking – we're at this point. I reckon we could easily go just on this topic for another hour. Choices in pressure scenarios. Mark McCarthy talked at the start about Stephen R. Covey. We are, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. And he said, Professor Steve Peters talks about the three parts of us, the human rational, the chimp emotional, and the computer that stores the info. And that the chimp is strong and it's fast and it will react first. And that you need to learn to train your chimp with a fight, flight, freeze, and something else, the other F. Talked about recognizing your internal state and the startle effect that you get three to five seconds of paralysis if you're untrained, that a recovery can take between 10 and 60 seconds with the simple motor skills being quicker, 10 to 30, but the complex sinking up to 60 seconds. The recovery, there were some drills in here that were very similar between Mike and uh, Mark with the recovery, taking a breath. Mark talked about the automatic response gets overridden by that conscious breathing and then controlling the pace of your speech. Your speech When it's fast, you know that the chimp has got someone and watch out for people grabbing things or talking unnecessarily. Both the guys had slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And for the air crew, the old instructor was sit on your hands and process prior to start grabbing switches. And if you can talk at the rate of the action, the speed is correct. That was from Mike on the quick draw. Mapper came up, which is the management of aggression and potential aggression. So the training people for the startle effect, letting off a, a slamming a desk with a book. I'm sure Mike has much more abrupt ways of getting a startle out of his trainees. But having those different levels of situa situational awareness, we can be tuned out perhaps on the car. When the stress has occurred, allow the emotion to diffuse. And when you can observe in your team someone who's in an emotional state, don't expect them to make rational decisions and manage the workload in the team so that that individual has that time while they're emotional. Remember uh, both guys talking about processing everything as it comes. Uh, each 
patient in the trauma room in the ER being processed and Mark going through his triage ABCDs with a deep breath reset, reassess into the next room and Mike doing the close quarters combat, clearing a building in exactly the same way. Deep breath, running his drills, primary scan, secondary scan in each room, controlling the physiological side as much as possible. <sighs> Slow things down and get all the info and then do the debrief. Remember in the back of your mind, the chimp is always there. It was born when you were. I like the one about it's like owning a dog. You're responsible for its behavior and it has to be exercised in a safe environment. Any final thoughts to throw out there, Raf? No, I, I think it's pretty comprehensive. And like I said, we can we can go on and on about this. So I think it's a I think this is a good episode. I think people listening are really gonna get a lot out of it. I think I'm gonna get a lot out of this when I listen to this. Uh, on my workouts. How about you, Mike? I think just take a couple of those points from the debrief, like the uh, going in primary, secondary scan and putting those like, what are, ask yourself, what are your priorities? You know, like go into the room as primary scan. This is what I'm looking for. Secondary scan is what I'm looking for. And then clearing and moving on. Uh, I think easily, if you put that on a whiteboard and you write about what you do in your life, you could easily fill in the blanks and fill out your own system. So what, whenever you wake up, whenever you go to work or whatever you're doing is you can follow those rules. And we call them the rules of flow. Uh, that, that's what we call them is kind of how we move through the house systematically. And we don't break those rules. We stick to them. Um, so everybody's operating on the same page um, and, and work as a team. But I, yeah, I think that's something you could do individually. How about you then, Mark? Did you want any other stuff that you thought you'd bring up today that you wanted to finish with? No, it, I think that's, that's kind of it. And as as Mike said, I think yeah, the, the real skill is to is to bring it from from the professional to the to the personal. And you know, that's where it makes the difference, really. The big one I was hearing for me in the end there was that compartmentalizing of being able to effectively in the day, not necessarily in a high stress situation, but to be able to process, have that pause, reset, breath, reassess, and engage it each new person you come across during the day and not bringing that previous energy state that you might've had from being triggered by a previous, you know, person who cut you off in traffic. And now you're a, you've been a bit of an a-hole at work, for example. I think there's a lot in there. All right. So this is probably a good place to leave it. I'm, I'm already hanging out for episode uh, three and the multi episode with McCarthy. The next time that uh, you hear from Mike and I, we're going to be clinking glasses together. And froth is going to be spilling over knuckles. And uh, I don't know whether we'll get another slowpoke rejoin from Espinosa. Uh, <laughs> when he stops when he stops pedaling on stops pedaling on the interweb machine in his cupboard. But uh, yeah, quality episode, McCarthy. Thanks for uh, bringing some absolute gold to our listeners. And until next time, take it easy and see if you can't apply some of these rules of flow in your own life.